I want to go to Luke 10 this morning, just kind of breeze through that particular chapter. Do pastors ever breeze through anything? <laughs> Probably not. In this particular passage, I want to look at the things that are important and just uh, draw your attention how Jesus kept bringing people back to things. Uh, in this particular passage, it starts out where he sends out the 72 and they're to go into villages preceding his um, going in and ministry. And so he sends them out with this agenda, he says, I don't want you taking a lot of extra preparations, uh, no money, no bag, no sh shoes or sandals. And uh, he just said, you go where you're accepted, you leave where you're not accepted. But he's, he goes in and he says, heal the sick and announce that the kingdom of heaven is here. And so uh, they're going out and they have fabulous results. Just outstanding results. And they come back and, and uh, you know, they're going, we saw incredible things. It says, even demons submit to us. He said, and then he kind of pulls it back into perspective and he says, well, I saw Satan thrown out of heaven. You know, it's, it's wonderful you had these successes, but there is more. And he's, he's going, there's a bigger picture, and I want you at least to keep that in mind. You know, that's, I guess, if anything, when I look at this, I'm going, sometimes our successes will have the potential of going to our heads, or we get all caught up in the, the, the moment, and we lose focus of what really even brought us to that point. And Jesus is kind of drawing it back to this and, and just going, um, you need to understand something. I, I saw Satan thrown out of heaven. So you want to talk big deals? That was a big deal. But there's more to it. He says, um, you know, I've given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions. Uh, nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, so he says, you know, you're right. I, I've given you a power to do things that you didn't dream possible. And you've seen some things you didn't think could happen through your life. But then he makes this declaration. He says, do not rejoice that spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names stand written in heaven. So he says, this is the really the, the key issue. He says, recognize that this life is temporal. The eternal is much more important in the fact that you have relationship with God and that you're going to be embraced by him into eternity, that's what really matters. And so even in church life, you know, we get caught up wanting the, the supernatural and the fantastic, which is appropriate. But he says, There's, there, don't forget the big picture. This is all temporal. And the eternal is what is going to be the thing that really matters. And the relationship that we have with God is what is key to all of this. And so he's just, he's bringing it into focus. And so they've had this extreme high. And he's saying, yeah, don't get too caught up in that. But recognize that 
there's more to come and an even greater participation in the workings of God. So that's, that's the first thing that I saw out of that story. And then, um, you know, I want to tie in a bit of Peter's uh, declaration later on in 1 Peter because in some ways the disciples, you know, they saw this high, but they also saw the low of Jesus crucified. They saw the high of, of thousands of people being saved, but they also saw the lows of their own friends being put to death, James beheaded. You know, so they, they walked through life and saw that, that there isn't the promise of everything going smooth, even though there is great power given to the saints. Not everything works out in this lifetime quite the way we anticipate, even though there are tremendous times of blessing and, and high, so to speak, in the Lord. So he, he makes this declaration, and he, uh, Peter says at, at later when he's writing, he says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own. So he's caught it. His name written in heaven, he says, that's the big deal. You were once not a people, but now you're the people of God. You were shown no mercy, but now you've received mercy. He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to keep away from fleshly desires that do battle against the soul. But I, I, those terms of foreigners and exiles, displaced people, immigrants, he says, that's how you see yourself in this lifetime. But you have this hope of going back to home, so to speak. So that said, uh, let's go back to Luke. And Jesus is walking through with them, and, and he's going, you know, you have a special privilege here. He says, not everybody knows the Son. The Son knows the Father. The Father is pleased to reveal the Son. But he says, kings and prophets longed for this, but you're seeing something that no one else has ever seen, the Son of Man on earth. And so there's, again, What's the priority? They were, only the, they were only the setup people, right? I mean, they'd gone out and they'd seen fantastic, but they're still, they're not the big show, in a sense. Jesus was still going to come into town and they were going to have opportunity to be meeting the Son of God. So again, it's, it's that thing of what's truly important in life? What's truly important around us? Um. I want to go on because uh, in the next story or passage that's told in this Luke 10, the, uh, a legal expert comes to Jesus and, and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? So there's that link of, you know, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And an expert says, well, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, how do you read it? Throws it back in his lap, and he says, well, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, well, that sounds good to me. And the, the man wanting to justify or just, you know, get into the details, says, well, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And, you know, where that goes is that he says, several religious people walk by 
a man that's been beaten and robbed and lying distraught, an abused person. And the religious people who, who should have compassion, no, they just kind of head on. And what takes place is that a Samaritan who would have been despised in that setting is the one who sees a person and, and has compassion. And Jesus is saying, you're a good neighbor if, if you allow compassion to operate through you. You know, it's who's, who's the good neighbor or who is the neighbor that loves? It's the one that, that demonstrates compassion. But it's going to cost you to do that, right? I mean, in this case, the guy, in regard to the story, the man takes a chance. Who knows, but the robbers are, are still there. You know, that he might be robbed as well. Who knows that he might be beaten? Who knows that, you know, that is he even going to, is this person worth helping? You know, that comes up as a question. But he, you know, in the story, he treats the man's wounds, takes him to a, a place and says, here, please take care of this person and gives him some money. It's like his compassion says, I need to invest in somebody that can't help themselves. And so again, it's that, you know, I look at that and I'm going, okay, as we prioritize things through life, it's real easy to get caught up in our system and our duties and our plans and to just, you know, bypass everyone else saying, I'm too busy in the Lord to consider this. But ultimately, we have to answer to the Lord, did you even ask me? And there are times when we get fully distracted by investing in others and at a cost to ourselves and going to take time out of our journey, but it's the appropriate thing to do. And so it's like, okay, what's the priority? What's important in the Lord? You know, he's laid out these grand commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. We get it. Then we go, that's great in the Old Testament too. But in this life, in day-to-day -day life, it's still important. It's priority in the Lord. Okay, the, the final story in this particular passage is uh, Jesus going to Mary and Martha's house. And in that, uh, Martha's invited him and feels the responsibility of putting on a good spread and, and doing it well. And her sister Mary is uh, sitting at Jesus' feet listening. It's, it's interesting because Martha comes and says, you, do you even see what's going on? You know, she's being lazy. You know, it's, she's distracted by the preparations enough so and, and potential embarrassment if things don't go right. And she makes, don't you care? And, but it's like throwing it into Jesus' lap and saying, tell her to do this. <laughs> That's the story of married life in many ways. <laughs> God fixed them. Do you see what they're doing? Not that I've ever said that. 
or has been said of me, but you know how that works. You know, it's, it's, I'm working as hard as I can. They're not doing their share. That's church life. It's, it's everything that you get into. You know, you look around and you, and you go, it doesn't seem like they're carrying the load enough. Or they're not doing right. And Jesus just says, this isn't going to be taken away from her. She's, she's chosen the appropriate for the moment. Now, I assume that Jesus still planned on eating. I assume that he was appreciating what Martha had done in the invitation. But it's like getting to that place where duty replaces relationship. And Jesus is going, no, you're you're putting things out of perspective here. You're, You're taking this beyond where it needs to be. And a lot of times it's our own pride driving that kind of thing, right? That distracts us where we just... You know, we, we want it to look good. We want it done right. We want everything to, to be accomplished the way that it should. And, and so we're just forcing, forcing, because God loves excellence. That's the easiest way of saying it, right? No, he does love excellence, but not at the price of everything else. And, and so in this, there's again, this is, this is that duty thing where... Things aren't coming together. The miraculous isn't happening in the moment. The, 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 it's a drudgery of labor, and the easiest thing to do... <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on this morning. The easiest thing to do is to, in a sense, in that feeling of burnout and anger, to start blaming others or looking at others and crying out to Jesus, fix them and make them get in this. And really what needs to happen is go back to the point and say, did God call me to this or not? And if I have given my best effort, is he going to be satisfied or not? And if someone else doesn't really carry the load like they're supposed to, is that going to destroy the work of God in the moment? Or is he going to be satisfied with what I've given of him? Or to him. And so, you know, for me, like when I'm walking through like this passage, boy, a lot of my life has been spent going, I would love to have more power in the Lord to zap people. You know, sometimes it's happening, but there are a lot of days when it isn't. You know, and and yet it's not about the power. It's about the relationship with him. My name's written down. And that I am participating in something that people dreamed of for years and years. And the fact that I need to be willing to be distracted by acts of compassion when God is putting that into my heart. You know, when I see something that, that is ill, And I'm going, okay, Lord, do you want my investment or not? Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. That's the reality. Sometimes it's completely appropriate, and you're going, but it's going to mess up everything that I've planned. And you're going, I'm going to have to trust him with this. And there are moments when you get into situations, and you're slugging it out, and you're doing your best, 
and you see others that aren't quite carrying their load, and it's frustrating. And yet, why? Is, is God directing your steps, or have you taken on more duty than, you've been, than he's asked of you? Or are you just going to have to say, this is the best I can do. It's not perfect. Hope you enjoy it. Find out what's important in the Lord. Find out in relationship with him what he desires. The rest will take care of itself. Just share one final thought. Two of my first three ministry experiences were burnout experiences. And uh, particularly in the second one, I was out in San Diego. There was a lifetime worth of ministry there. I just wasn't patient enough to see it happen. And I needed to leave the results in the Lord's hands, not try to force what I think had to take place. And years later, you know, as you kind of go back and you sort that out and you're evaluating, I realized that my pride had been driving me as much as anything because I was embarrassed by the product, so to speak. And, you know, and also I wanted results. And ultimately, results are in the Lord's hand. And how things go, he directs our steps. That's what he's declared. And so I just encourage you, you know, tie into him relationally, knowing that this is going to be forever. And then allow him to speak to you as to what steps need to take place and at what pace. Because he does have a plan, a good plan for your life in particular. I want to pray for God's blessing upon you. Um, what remains is open-ended. There is a meal downstairs. It's going to be awesome. So may your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to walk in relationship with you, having events timed by your purposes and plan. I ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen. Bless you.